maybe our lives begin as a blank canvas, but they don't stay that way for long. Uh, a lot gets thrown at us, a lot of dark colors, a lot of bright colors, a lot of hard brush strokes, a lot of easy brush strokes, and it all kind of comes together in a chaotic way that seems confusing to us, and if we're honest, our lives seem like a mess. And getting honest about the messy parts of life is one of the interesting things about being in a community group. I'm talking about our small groups that we have here at Black Rock. I'm in a community group, and uh, over time, uh, the people in my group have become some of my dearest and favorite people on this planet. And that's because we can be honest about our messy lives. Uh, besides discussing spiritual things and praying together, we also support each other through the messy stuff in our lives. For instance, we'll go around in the group and one by one, people will talk about their jobs, how their jobs are driving them crazy, how uh, their workload is unreasonable, and how they work with turkeys who uh, just create double work and conflict and sleepless nights. And as we go around in the community group, do you know what I realize? I realize I'm the only one who can't complain about my job and my coworkers. <laughs> they come to me and say, so Steve, so how's the job going? Fine. Uh, how's your uh, coworkers and how's it like working with uh, the... I said, fine. And uh, if you're in my group, You'd believe me. You'd believe me that it's fine. It's perfect. Because you'd expect that working in a church would be perfect. I mean, you have a job where people are always cursing and swearing and there's politics and pressures and, and disagreements and people's feelings get hurt. But you think working in a church office would be perfect. Think again. Think again. <laughs> These same things happen working at a church. Except for the cursing and the swearing, uh, although that could change here now that I've angered my coworkers by outing them as a bunch of imperfect people, and they are, and I am. I am one of the imperfect uh, people. Uh, and my experience of you know, not being able to complain about uh, my job and my community group illustrates the problem uh, that we can have in the church. Uh, church should be the place where we can be the most honest about our messes. But for a bunch of reasons, church can become the place where we are not. We are not honest about our messes. Since church is the place where we always are talking about the reality of our sinfulness and talk about and sing about God's grace and God's mercy for mistakes more than anywhere else, church should be the place where it's okay to not be okay. I mean, okay to fail because there's always forgiveness. Okay to be flawed because scripture says that God uses flawed people. Okay to be a person who struggles with a messy life because the Bible teaches that that's the only kind of Life there is for people on this planet. God is perfect, but we're not. And even with Jesus in our lives, we all struggle with messy marriages and messy families and messy relationships and 
messy lives. Church should be the place where it's okay to not be okay. But then something creeps in through the back door here at church. It's the lie. The lie that people who follow Jesus never stumble, never fall, but just only get better and better. It's the lie that Christ followers are not scarred by the wounds of the past, but they just wink and smile like the past is in the past and never happened. It's the lie that good Christ followers have lives that are neat and tidy, never messy. It's the lie that there are little sins and there are big sins, and people who follow Jesus never commit the big sins, whatever they are. This big sin, little sin lie is what makes it hard for all of us in the church to get honest about our failures with each other, including pastors. You know, as a pastor, if I share with you one of my struggles that I have, some of you will say, ha, ah, that's a little sin. I, you know, I struggle with that all the time. But there'll be others who will say, Wow, that's a big sin. I don't struggle with that. Uh, I can't respect a pastor with something like that. Maybe I should be the one preaching up there, not him. <laughs> There's no book, you know, that says what's a big sin and what's a little sin. Oh, but church people seem to know, right? But it's all a lie. It's a lie, this big sin, little sin thing that teaches people that in church, you better not. You better not share your struggles because you just might be sharing one of those big sins that is going to make you the target of some shame, some gossip, some avoidance, some judgment. And Jesus just hates this. He hates this process in his family. Jesus wants the church to be the place where it's okay to not be okay. Jesus doesn't believe in big sins and little sins. Or if there is a big sin in Jesus' mind, well, it is an addiction. It's not a bad habit. It's not a troubled marriage. If there's a biggest sin to Jesus, you know what it is? It's rejecting him. It's walking away from him. It's giving up on Jesus in disbelief. If, that's a, if there's a big sin, that is it. And this is exactly what the leader of the early church confessed to the church and to the world. Peter's big mess, his big confession in the Bible proves that in the church, it's okay to not be okay. So let's study Peter's mess in Luke chapter 22. Uh, you can follow along in your Bible or device, and just before I read, let me remind you that Peter's real given name is Simon, uh, and this is what Jesus said to Simon, who he nicknamed Peter, during the Last Supper, just hours before Jesus would go to the cross, Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and that when you have turned back, you strengthen your brothers. But Simon replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. These are some of the most fascinating words 
in the entire Bible. Because in this interaction between Jesus and Peter, there contains some profound truths. Some profound truths in this interaction with Peter where Jesus teaches me that it's okay to not be okay. What does Jesus teach about my message? Well, first notice that Jesus teaches that he is not shocked by the messes in my life. Was Jesus surprised that his friend Peter, the friend he needed the most at this moment before his crucifixion, was Jesus surprised that Peter rejected him and denied that he even knew him? No. Peter was shocked, but Jesus was not surprised. And in the same way, Jesus is not shocked or surprised by the messes in my life. I mean, Peter lived with Jesus and built a friendship with him over three years. And then at that crucial moment, Peter threw Jesus under the bus. If there's a big sin, that's it. But in this interaction, Jesus doesn't express condemnation toward Peter, disappointment in Peter, stiff-arming Peter, saying the relationship's over. No, no, no. And this shows me how Jesus feels about me and my continuing failure. Jesus isn't shocked. He's not shaking his head in disappointment. No, he's already looking beyond my mess to the next stage in our relationship, our friendship together, and my growth, which leads to the next truth I see here, and that is how Jesus teaches that Satan's mess in me can become God's best for me. You know, Jesus says something really interesting to Peter. He says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. This wheat sifting process that Jesus has in mind is a big mess. The process starts with stalks of wheat. At the top of the stalk, there are wheat kernels, but those seeds are encased in husks. And these heads of wheat need to be rubbed and pounded or stepped on in order to separate the kernels from the husks, which are called chaff. And it's a messy process that gets even messier because the next stage of the sifting process is to throw everything, kernels and chaff, up into the air. That's right. You just wait for a breeze and you throw it all up in the air and then uh, you watch as the lighter husks blow away and the valuable kernels drop back down into your basket. And Jesus says, this is what Satan, this is what troubles, this is what hardships do in life. I get pounded and pounded, and then everything gets thrown up into the air, and it's a big mess. But Jesus sees that while darkness works a mess in my life, God is actually using Satan's worst to become his best for me. Somehow, in this messy process of being pounded and thrown up into the air, God actually, through the wind of his spirit in my life, blows away the worthless stuff in my life. In God's loving hands, my messes are God's opportunity to help me center my life on what's most valuable and the kernels of truth 
in my life. And Jesus sees this process taking place in Peter, and Jesus sees this process happening in me. Jesus sees how Satan's mess in me can become God's best for me. And through Peter, Jesus is teaching me that it's okay to not be okay because he has a perfect plan for imperfect people like me. But next, notice that Jesus teaches that my messes qualify me to be a wounded healer. In Jesus, my worst heartaches, my sin struggles, uh, my worst failures and problems become my best opportunities to bring strength to other people. That's what Jesus says to Peter, right? Uh, He says, Peter, I pray that your faith may not fail and that when you have turned back, you strengthen your brothers. I love that. Jesus is telling Peter, it's okay to not be okay because it is your status as a failure that qualifies you to encourage other people who fail Jesus too. It's Peter's pain that actually qualifies him to be a wounded healer. When I was in uh, seminary, I took some of my courses at uh, Harvard where I got to know a best-selling author uh, and Catholic uh, theologian named Henry Nouwen. And in his best-known book, Nouwen describes his deep struggle with depression and dark feelings of loneliness. And he writes about how he hated his depression until God showed him that it was his deep struggle with sadness that gave him deep compassion for other hurting people. It was his pain that gave him the right to speak to others in pain. It was his weaknesses that gave him the ability to strengthen the weak. And although he's gone now, Nowin's book continues to sell millions and millions of copies, and the title of his book is The Wounded Healer. And this is what Jesus teaches me through Peter. Jesus teaches me that it's okay to not be okay, because my struggles empower me to help people who suffer with similar struggles. My weakest moments become my opportunities to strengthen other people. Not only does Jesus teach this, but Peter models it. Peter models the truth that when I stop trying to project this image of perfection and I open myself up to show my weaknesses, I can be a wounded healer. Peter models this by being so honest about his biggest mess in life. This process of Peter denying Jesus three times was gruesome, a gruesome failure, but it's a failure that could have very easily, could have just been hushed and swept under the rug in church history. But Bible scholars have noticed that Peter's denials, which are not essential to the story of the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection, Peter's denials are about the only non-essentials that appear in all four of the Gospels in the Bible. And Bible scholars think they know why. It's because Peter was the leader of the early church. And the reason that Peter's denials appear in all four Gospels is because Peter wanted his gruesome failure 
to be in all four Gospels. It's like he was looking over the shoulders of each one of those Gospel writers saying, hey, 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 don't forget about the time when I made a complete fool of myself three times. Why did Peter glory in his failure? It's because Peter knew it was his chance to be a wounded healer in the lives of countless other failures who deny Jesus just like me. Peter wanted future followers of Jesus to know that in Jesus, it's okay to not be okay. Peter proves that it's okay to fail because there's forgiveness in Jesus. It's okay to be wounded because Jesus can make me into a wounded healer. It's okay to be a mess because Jesus works his perfect plan through imperfect people like me. You know, this is so important. Let me just review those again. Uh, First, it's okay to be a failing failure. And notice how I'm emphasizing that it's okay to make mistakes in the present and not just in the past. You see, there's a lie that goes around the church, and it's that uh, if you believe in Jesus, well, God forgives you for your sins of the past, but his mercy comes with this kind of quiet expectation that you're not going to need his forgiveness very much in the future because, you know, you're going to be a perfect paragon of saintliness. This is a lie. It's a lie that says if you're a Christ follower and you keep failing, it's not okay. You're in trouble. You need to be ashamed before God. And you know what happens to believers who believe this lie? They either become judgmental hypocrites or they become cowering guilt slaves. But Jesus teaches that it's okay to not be okay, which which doesn't mean that we have a license to sin. It, it, it does not mean that we can be sloppy and careless and casual about things that hurt us, hurt other people, hurt God. No. This just means that it's, it's God on our side, that God is not just waiting to flog me for my mistakes. Instead, God is waiting to forgive me and love me completely in his love in Jesus. And because I have God's love and acceptance, I can be myself. I can be real at church. I can be authentic in my community group because Jesus loves me. Next, it's okay to be wounded. You know, sometimes the biggest struggle in my life is shame, but not shame over what I did, but shame over what was done to me. There are people listening to me right now, and uh, you have been f- physically beaten, or you are uh, the victim of being a, uh, of a cyber bully in school. But you keep this struggle bottled inside because you're ashamed. There are people listening to me right now, and you are rejected or abandoned or mistreated by your parents, but you keep it bottled inside because you're ashamed. There are people listening to me who are, are physically abused or sexually abused, but they keep that struggle inside because they're ashamed. It should not be this way in the church. The family of Jesus should be the one place where wounded people can speak up and not be ashamed. In the family of Jesus, it's okay to be wounded. Why? Because our leader is not ashamed 
of his wounds. Let me remind you that when Jesus rose from the dead, he intentionally stuck out his hands to show that he was no longer dead, but he was still wounded. Jesus could have made it so his wounds were erased, but he did not. Jesus is in heaven right now, and he bears the scars of how he was victimized. But he is not ashamed. And Jesus calls me to place my wounded life in his wounded hands. And when I do, it becomes okay to not be okay. It's okay to have scars. It's okay to be honest about those scars in a way that heals me and heals other people in the process. And finally, it's okay to be a mess. Maybe you're listening to me and you're saying, you know, I don't have any sin struggles that really make me feel like a failure or I don't really struggle with deep wounds from my past. Well, let me ask you one more question. Do you ever feel like God can't use you because your life is such a mess? I mean, you say, how can God be in the middle of my life when I'm in the middle of so many messes? I mean, my house is kind of a mess. My family's kind of a mess. My finances are kind of a mess. My relationships are kind of a mess. Do you ever look at your life and say, well, clearly, God can't use me until I get my life in order in all of these places? Not true. Peter proves that Jesus can use people with messy lives. Peter proves that when Jesus is in your life, it's okay to be a mess. But what if Jesus is not in your life? And here at the end, I just want to say something to you. If you're here and you're not even sure you believe in God, maybe for you, it's the messiness of life is that becomes the reason you don't even believe in God or Jesus. And you see the violent chaos in the universe and you say, how can a loving God God be the creator of all this? Or you, you see the suffering and pain in your own life and you say, how can I believe in a God who loves me? If this is true, I'm glad you're here because your good questions deserve good answers. And that's why we have a class that's especially designed for you called the Skeptics Forum. If you look in your bulletin, you'll see that uh, the Skeptics Forum starts next Sunday at 11.30 in our conference center. It's a multi-week blend of discussion and lecture designed to answer your questions about God in this messy world. So come and join other skeptics and those who love skeptics. We're glad you're here because... BlackRock is a church where it's okay to struggle with doubts and questions about a relationship with God. This is a church where it is okay to be a failing failure and be honest about your mistakes. This is a church where it's okay to be wounded and not be ashamed. This is a church where it's okay to have a messy life and not pretend that you have it all together. You know why? Because Jesus is in charge here. And that makes BlackRock a place where it's okay to not be okay.
Mother's Day is the hardest day of the year for me. I don't even want to go to church. I have three children, but I've never held them in my arms. I've never laughed with them. I've never been able to comfort them when they cry because all three of my pregnancies resulted in miscarriage. I was born into a family that was broken apart and fractured because of alcohol, sexual abuse, and many painful divorces. So as a student and young adult, I carried along with me incredibly heavy emotional baggage in the form of an intense fear of abandonment and rejection, huge trust issues, and paralyzing depression, discouragement, and shame. I grew up in a loving blue-collar Irish Catholic family. We were church-going, but around age four, I suffered um, some severe trauma. I'm one of the last people in this country to get polio. I couldn't play sports, and as a result, I felt like I never really fit in. You throw my dad's alcoholism into the mix, and man, my thinking really got messed up. So, around age 14, I discovered alcohol. Man, that made me feel like I fit in. And so over the next 27 years, my drinking got worse, but I didn't know it. I was a real mess. I found myself alone, isolated, and ashamed of who I'd become. As a little girl, I was molested by a family member. During that time, something inside me died. Something deep in my soul died. Years later, at 13, I was sexually abused by a boy that was a year older than me. And I felt so confused. Um, I felt so much shame. I felt alone. I felt so unsafe. After that, um, with that secret and that deep wound, I ran and I hid and I tried anything to fill that pain, that deep shame from that wound and that secret kept me silenced and I felt like I had lost my voice. I felt so alone for so long. So many of us feel alone and isolated weighed down by the fear, guilt, and shame of our choices or what others have done to us. While it takes courage to admit our struggle, help is here if we're willing to take a bold step forward. Living Free Recovery Night provides a safe place where you can find healing, hope, and support. You don't have to suffer alone. The door is open for you. So life is messy, but we don't need to stay buried in the mess. There is a way uh, that God's given us to become free. So that's what our Living Free 
uh, groups are all about on Thursday, and these are the leaders of uh, these uh, groups, and uh, I'd like to ask you just to tell us a little bit about your group and uh, how you are a wounded healer. Good morning. My name is Jenna Rupp, and I'm a little emotional, sorry. Um, I lead a living free group for women who have suffered the loss of an infant through miscarriage or stillbirth or early infant death or abortion. I am a wounded healer because I deal with a grief that is full of confusion. Confusion because deep down I know that God is good and he loves me, but I'm also angry at him because he has allowed me to suffer such loss. Hi, I'm Tom Casey, and uh, I'm a uh, wounded healer uh, who uh, leads a group for people who struggle with drugs and alcohol on uh, Thursday nights at 7. Uh, I, uh, I'm a wounded healer because I, I deal with the pain of my past. Um, I struggled uh, with, with really difficult thinking patterns that developed over the years uh, for, you know, for, for lots of reasons. Um, I grew up thinking that I was less than. I grew up thinking that I, was, uh, that I didn't fit in and, and that I might never succeed. And it started, it started with, uh, with my disability at age four and, and it got worse uh, you know, in the alcoholic household I grew up in. Um, life became unpredictable and very scary. And so it, uh, I discovered alcohol, and for, for me, that, uh, that, that I saw it as a potential solution to my loneliness and my fear. Uh, but, you know, that thinking carried over into my adult life. Uh, that was, um, uh, it, it just got worse, and even after I came to have made a decision for Jesus. Uh, so, uh, it's, it's tough. Um, you know, my, my thinking really didn't start to change until I found a group of people that struggled with the same problem, some of those same issues. And those people helped me to, to, to learn a biblical process to get better, to, uh, to be able to, um, to recover and become the man that God created me to be. Good morning. My name is Gaylord, and I lead a living free group focused on helping men live out purity in our actions and thoughts. You may be a man here today and you're feeling, I'm all alone in my struggle. But that's a lie. Every one of us struggles with the garbage on the internet, in media, and frankly, everywhere in our culture. And you know, that battle can leave us feeling broken, buried alive, and powerless. So far from the freedom that God has for each and every one of us. I'm a wounded healer because every day I live with the scars from my past. During the years that my stepfather lived with us, our home was filled with inappropriate books, magazines, pictures in plain view. The memories of coming home after school 
to an empty house. And knowing that I would be alone for days or even a week because mom was off on another drinking binge, burn in my thoughts like they happened yesterday. The most painful images surround walking into a local bar that was a favorite of mom's, seeing her slumped over the counter, touching her arm and saying, Mom, I love you. Please come home with me. Just let me take care of you. And when she laughed and shoved me out of the way, something broke in my spirit. You know, men, at the root of our struggle are scars of loneliness and isolation. And too often we try to fill that pain with choices that only lead us deeper into isolation and rob us of freedom. I understand that pain because your pain is my pain. And I know that God can use us to bring healing and that God can use me to help strengthen men because your scars are my scars. Because we were postponed uh, due to the snowstorm, one of our leaders uh, couldn't be here in person but is here through technology. Good morning, BlackRock. My name is Sunny Jones, and I am facilitating a group for women who have been sexually abused or have sexual trauma in their past. What it means for me to be a wounded healer is that I continue to walk out daily my healing from sexual abuse and sexual trauma, and I have not arrived yet. It's a gift to walk it out with God and walk it out with others. And one of the obstacles I've had to overcome is fear and fear of using my voice. I felt like I had lost my voice for many years. And um, through the redemption of God and through working and getting to be vulnerable with others, I've been able to regain um, my voice and continue to uh, get that back. And so... Um, what has happened is my misery has become my ministry. I love how you're so honest about uh, your struggles. What would you say to someone who is here today and is struggling? Oh, my heart's desire is for grieving women to know sorry, that God can handle your anger. He's big enough. He can take it. And not only can he take it, he wants it. And so, in our group, we meet, we have the same pain, the same grief, the same anger, and yet we learn that God is and always has been with us every step of the way. Jesus said that he came to give life and that it would be given abundantly, an abundant life, that's what he wants for us. And that's what I believe living free can give. Well, for me, it's uh, it's you know the fact that I that I know a lot about uh, I know a lot about uh, struggling and about uh, feeling hopeless and uh, and being uh, being stuck and 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 trying so hard to change, but I can't. And uh, so, uh, but there there is hope, and uh, you have to come out of you have to come out of isolation though in order to, in order to in order to uh, heal. 
And, um, you know, so there, there is hope. There's, there's a group of people here in the church that will, would love to teach you a biblical process that, that, that really enables you to change and be, be, the, be the man or woman God called you to be. My message for every one of us today, but especially our men, you don't have to do this alone. You don't have to deal with your pain in isolation. In fact, most of the healing that's taken place in my life has come through community and relationships, through people who cared enough not to abandon me or reject me, but to walk with me on my journey toward greater and greater freedom. So men, I challenge you today, come with me. Let's walk together as we learn what it really looks like to live free. To those of you who are struggling today, I want to say that there is hope. Two of the most powerful words are me too. So I say to you all this morning, me too. You're not alone. We were created and meant for real, authentic, genuine connection and relationship. So I invite you to come join us in a safe place to let our walls down, to be vulnerable and real with one another, and to let God heal us in community. Would you please stand now as we close? Let's thank our panel here. And uh, these folks will uh, be up here in the front uh, along with our prayer team. Come on up and uh, just share a word with, uh, with them. And now let's close. Lord Jesus, thank you that because you're in charge here, it's okay to not be okay. Send us out in that freedom. Amen.